This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pots to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. You know, it's not every episode that we get to have someone who's doing something different in the industry. We talk to a ton of experts that really know their stuff, that are working with their clients, that are getting amazing results. But today's guest is someone who's actually doing it. They're in the trenches. They're building a business. They're doing something completely different. And it's an HVAC company. In fact, he's got two competing businesses in the same market, serving different people without any brick and mortar presence. And it's doing amazing. In fact, so amazing. He was named top 40 under 40 in the news HVACR. He has his own podcast, the Service Business Mastery Podcast. And his goal is to give back to the industry that has done so much for him. I want to welcome to today's show, Turch Blissett. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me. I hear so many times out here, people like have got some good ideas. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I know what everybody's doing and you're out there doing it and I love it. So tell me, what is one of the biggest myths of the industry from what you're seeing right now? One of the biggest myths, and it's definitely been proven to be a myth, is the fact that you must have a physical office space in order for you to attract good technicians and employees in general. I'm confused. So I don't have to have a shop. I don't have to have a physical office space. I can grow my business and people think I'm legit. Absolutely. And I'll give you another caveat to that. You can physically appear to be way larger than you actually are without having the office space. Okay. Help me break this down a little bit. How do you do this? One of the things is, so our service area, it morphs and mutates depending on where a technician lives. Instead of basing our service area and our geographical reach strictly off of our office location. So a lot of people will take their office and then say, all right, we're going to do 50 miles in a circle around our office and we'll service that area. And we've taken a little different approach. So every time we hire a new team member, we start marketing to that area where they live. So they have a remote warehouse, we quote unquote warehouse. It's a uh, storage unit. And that storage unit gets replenished with the truck's worth of inventory. Then we start targeting his or her location. If you look at our service map, it's not a circle. It's not a perfect circle. It's like little fingers sticking out where it's just kind of morphs and mutates in all different areas. You know, I, I've worked with some people that have done this in the trades and, you know, they target their marketing around wherever their techs are, but they still have a shop. They still have a place where they can go. They can do their Tuesday stand-up meetings. You know, they can meet with the crew. They've got a place where if the inventory runs out on a truck, they can come pick up some extra inventory and stuff like that. So that's not needed to grow your business. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. 100%. How do you wrap your hands around that? How do you bring everybody together so that you actually feel like a team? Well, we, at least once a month, we will, I'd say at least once a quarter during the summer months, we will this typically once a quarter, but the rest of the year, every month, we physically meet up and we'll have a gathering together and we will meet together typically once a month for a breakfast event also at one of our clients' restaurants. So we do a little bit of light commercial work. And so we'll use their restaurant to meet up together and just rub elbows and say hey to each other. 
Now we also meet virtually every day. And throughout the day, we're constantly checking in on each other through Teams, Microsoft Teams. We used to use a Slack, a program called Slack. We've recently transitioned over to Teams. And so, yeah, it's, it's constant checking on the team. And now our office staff, they live all over the place, not necessarily in or around our service area because they're on Zoom all day. Mm-hmm. So they literally, they have a Zoom that stays open. My wife's the office manager and she has a screen, a computer monitor that's just dedicated for Zoom. So she has all the office staff in that. And if somebody has a question about something, they just hit unmute. Hey, I have a quick question. It's like you have your own cubicle. It's a virtual cubicle. So yeah, that's how we do that. Wow. So you're able to really keep people connected, at least in the office, and then the techs once a month, which I think a lot of techs are used to that. I mean, that's why you get into being a tech. You get to work remotely. You don't have your boss on you all the time and that kind of stuff. Yeah, we'll meet up. And then we also do a truck replenishment inventory, like a kind of an inspection. They have to do their own inspection every Monday morning, which is all turned in with photos and with readouts of oil pressure, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's a van inspection and then pictures of the back of the van, pictures of the inside of the cab of the van. And it's nothing like, hey, pick up that piece of trash off the ground. Nothing like that. It's just the accountability and nobody's van gets sloppy. And I can tell you firsthand, I've worked at places, I have owned places that we were in the office every single morning and a technician quit. And then all of a sudden you go and look at their van They legitimately have been living in this van Mm -hmm. and nobody has caught it. You know what I mean? So just because we have the physical location doesn't mean that that's going to solve all these problems of van inventory and making sure everything's clean and all that stuff. So we actually, in my opinion, do a little bit more towards that because we're remote and have that kind of check on, you know, create checks and balances that way too. You know, it's interesting. I've heard some people that we've coached that they will walk the tech out to their car after an interview. And they take a look at their car and they look inside the car and they just know that's what my truck's going to look like in a month or so. So it's just a way to tell, you know, are they doing it? But it sounds like you're doing it day in and day out. I love it. So you've got this Service Business Mastery podcast and sure you get lots of great guests on there. What do you think's holding business owners back from not only being able to go virtual like you've done and reduce expenses, which is a very hot topic right now, but also to be able to grow their company and keep moving it forward? Mindset, relinquishing control or the reins on things. That's what I see most often. It's like, I don't want to hire a bookkeeper. I want to make sure all of it comes through me. Mm. Or if I hire one, holding them back from performing their tasks because you want to be able to check on everything that they actually do. That's an automation in general. Like you've automated something, you've delegated up something, but then you haven't truly delegated it because you're wanting it to come back to you constantly. Yeah. That leads back to ego, in my opinion. If there's somebody out there that get 150 phone calls a day, it's because they allow that to happen and it's to feed their ego. Yeah, that reminds me of Mike Michalowicz's book, Clockwork. He talks about the four Ds. Have you read that one? But yeah, I delegating. know Mike pretty well. I love Mike to death. I think he's great. But yeah, delegating is like most of us think we're delegating. But when we say, hey, go do this and bring it back to me for approval, we're still in the deciding phase. Like <laughs> we're not delegating. Delegating means you never see it again. I love that. That got me thinking about that piece. Oh, yeah. So if you really want to know what to do to fix your business next, check out Fix This Next. Yeah. By Mike Michalowicz. We're actually, Julie and I are in that book. Mike, a study, a case study on our business. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. 
That's <laughs> awesome. That's great. No, I love his stuff. It seems like he's got two or three books coming out a year now. So I'm struggling to keep up, but right. Yeah. But it's good stuff. So I know that you brought up Bookkeeper and I know there are a lot of people listening going right now, oh, the bookkeeper, right? Like, how do you relinquish that? How do you find a bookkeeper you can trust? Like, what's some thoughts you have on that? Honestly, there's a lot of them out there that are, uh, I like to call them part-time bookkeepers. They're part-time in your business, but they're legit full-time bookkeepers, accountants, CFOs. And we have them specifically for the trades. So the ones that we use, I mean, I have interviewed several uh, remote bookkeepers from all over the country. And the great thing is, is they don't have to be in your office to be a great bookkeeper. With technology now, we use Dext. So as soon as an invoice is printed, it goes, the picture's taken, Dext transcribes it, sends it over to QuickBooks. Bookkeeper doesn't have to do manual entry as much. I mean, there's still some checks and balances. It's, it's AI, but in sure. a lot of that automation there, so you don't have to have that person in your office to make sure that all your receipts are typed into the computer somewhere. And then I have Canadian friends who have remote bookkeeping companies, US friends. I mean, there's US companies all the time. I would interview several of them, make sure that they understand your trade because whenever they're setting up QuickBooks and setting up classes, they have to understand the difference in the different divisions and everything like that. But once that happens, there's so many of them out there, your mind would be blown with how easy it is. Not only that, you're not paying one person's full-time salary with a quarter of the amount of money you're spending on somebody's full-time salary, you could actually be paying for three different people's part-time salary. So you could have a really good CFO that works just two or three hours a week in your business. You could have a really good bookkeeper that works a couple hours in the business and then some sort of controller. So yeah, this is definitely an option. The thing that you have to do is you really have to think outside the box and be okay with the next time you go to your HVAC networking event and somebody's like, well, what's your bookkeeper do all day? I don't know. Don't be afraid of them saying, you don't have a bookkeeper in your office. Like, <laughs> that's not normal. Yeah. Like, well, you know, what's not normal is not having a shop. So let's just put it out there. Like that's not normal, right? It sounds like you're the king of abnormal things, challenging the status quo. I love it. Always looking for people to disrupt in the industry. You know, I go back and people ask me all the time. I focus on hiring the frontline talent, skilled laborers, technicians. And it's like, what happened to the trades? You know, I tell people all the time, you remember that photo from the 30s of the iron workers sitting on the I-beam eating lunch mm -hmm. in New York City? Like, I look back and I hear stories of like, there were kids that were like, I want to do that when I grow up. Like, it was cool to go into the trades and to work with your hands. And something happened in the last 30 years. And it's not cool anymore. Yep. And what I believe is it's because the industry as a whole kind of had that mindset of the newspaper did around the turn of the century when they're like, oh, the internet's not going to beat us. The internet's just going to be a blip. It's not going to be here. And the newspapers held out and they held out and they held out. And then all of a sudden, where are all the newspapers? They're either gone or they're online, right? Yep. And I think that what happened with the trades especially is they said, oh, these white collar jobs, these Facebooks, all that stuff. There's going to be a ton of people that still want to go into the trades and work with their hands. We don't have to change. We don't have to think mm -hmm. differently. And here we are, and it's one of the hardest hiring seasons in the history of the industry. Mm. And it's not because we didn't do anything different. And it's not because there are less people out there in the world. It's just there are less people that really want these jobs where nothing's changed. Yeah. And I love that you're bringing technology and automation and the idea that people don't have to be micro. Like there's still that mindset of you got to show up at the office first thing. And I was like, 
You're going to make a guy drive 40 miles to your office just so you can have a stand-up meeting with him. And then you're going to make him drive 40 miles back to his first job. Yep. Oh, it's called accountability. Well, that might be what you call it. But that mindset shift hasn't taken place. So I absolutely agree with that. I think it's really interesting what you say about the bookkeeper piece, because I know that's a real tough point for a lot of people. It is. And in reality, just like you said before, it can't be a delegation of abdication. Like you can't just say, okay, you're a bookkeeping firm. Here's all my bookkeeping. Goodbye. Don't talk to me ever again. You still have to have some sort of checks and balances in place just to make sure that things are processing smoothly. But yeah, it's definitely a different thought process and mindset. My biggest pet peeve is to say, that's how it's always been. Like if somebody says that, no, no, thank you. Like question everything. Why every single day question why you're doing what you're doing. If you have a good response to that answer, keep doing it. But don't be afraid to question why you're doing it. Yeah, that's great. I tell people like to join my team. Hey, if you want to get fired here, just tell me we do it that way because that's why we've always done it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, 100%. no, no, no. We got to be improving. You know, it's yep. interesting that you say that though. I mean, just back to the bookkeeper thing. I talked to a lot of owners that are like, I need a new bookkeeper. And I'm like, what happened to the last one? She wasn't doing her job. And I asked him, I go, what was her job? Do my books. <laughs> what the heck does that mean? Like, I don't know. I'm not a bookkeeper. Yep. <laughs> like, problem number one is learn what you need to learn to manage a bookkeeper. Yep. You don't have to know their entire job, how to do an Excel spreadsheet, know how to use QuickBooks or QuickBooks Online and all that stuff. But you need to know how to check your P&Ls. You need to make sure that you can check and inspect everything. You can't expect anything you don't inspect. You yeah. Know? So, but yeah, definitely 100% for that. And I know that when it comes to learning this stuff, I know that you're a big fan of hiring coaches. Mm, yeah, 100%. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like, What's a good coach that you should be looking at having in your business or... How do you get started on this? Learning the things that aren't doing the work, right? Like that's where I find a lot of owners. They love the trade. Maybe they grew up in it. So they want to be in the truck. They want to use their hands. They're good with the field. But when it comes to managing that office as they grow, there's just so much to learn. And, and I know coaches are a great way to help with that. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, 100%. So I have multiple coaches for multiple different reasons whether it's mental. So just creating that, getting out of my own way, getting out of my own headspace, right down to CFO coaching, like what you should be looking for on your financial side of things, business things and peer-to-peer -peer groups, even mentorships with people who have really done it in our industry and in other industries. I find that extremely valuable. The biggest thing is, is don't be afraid of feeling dumb or feeling awkward or because you don't know what you don't know until you know. Mm -hmm. And once you know it, then it's like, wow, I could have done this so differently for so many years. And if anybody's ever read the E-Myth Revisited, Michael Gerber, and so he, he talks so much about the technician. And so many of us are the technician that came out of the field, literally were the service technician, came out into an office, and you're just doing it because you think the guy you worked for was an idiot and you could do it better than he could or whatever. And then you get in and you're like, oh, wow that fellow had a lot more responsibilities than I realized. Yeah, And so it's definitely a shock to a lot of people, but it's something that you don't have to do alone. And there's lots of organizations out there. I would definitely say just don't necessarily listen to what everybody else says in your groups because it's not that they're going to say anything bad about the organization, but they're not you. Like if I was asking somebody, like, how do you run a remote business? And what response do you think I'm going to get? You can't do it or this can't be done. That can't be done. 
So just be careful with who you're asking these questions to and just really interview all these coaches. There's tons of organizations out there and there's amazing mentors, coaches, and everything. There's also some really bad ones and it's tough. So develop the relationship, talk with the people and ask lots of questions. One thing I've learned with coaches and this might be tooting my own horn a little bit, but I found that the coaches that really specialize in one area, they tend to be better coaches than the generalists. You know, anybody that says they're a business coach, and I'm like, well, what does that mean? They're like, any, all areas of business. And I'm like, oh, great. So you're a master of none of them, is what you're telling me. And while they might be a great coach from that perspective, you're still going to need someone to help you with the hiring, still with someone to help you with the bookkeeping, someone still help you with scaling. And so maybe they're the coach of your coaches, right? Which I can see a need for that sometimes. But I definitely think find the coach that's got an expertise because the other thing too is that coach is working on that exact same issue with all the other clients they have. Exactly. And they probably have seen someone in your exact situation and has seen how they came out successfully on the other end. The other thing is, is I would say, I would caution you. If a coach tells you something, there's a really good reason why they're telling you that as long as they're a good coach, like we were saying before. Yeah. And they have, they've seen other clients of theirs going through the exact same situation. Why wouldn't you take their advice? Don't keep throwing but my situation is different, but I'm different. Like you can't do that in this situation. I've heard that so many times from just other people in in those groups with me. I'm like, at what point are you going to realize that we've all been something like what you're doing? Even if you believe that it's, we get it. It's your baby. This is my baby. And I think my baby is different than yours. Yeah. Mine's prettier. So I can't have the same issues you have, but in reality, relatively similar home service business. And that's weird coming from me. I'm the guy that does everything differently. Like I'm the one that wears a three-piece suit and climbs through your attic. Like I don't care. Like that's how I stand out. And so for me to say it's another service company, in reality, we're providing wow service and that's what it matters. I mean, whether we're doing it in a three-piece suit or we're just having a really clean truck and park on the street so that our logo is facing the door make sure we don't drip an oil in the van or in the driveway. We're all service companies, you know, and we're all yeah. taking care of clients. I love it. It's interesting. I've worked with companies as small as one, the owner, and I've worked with or been on teams that have worked with companies with thousands of employees. And what I've learned is they all suffer from pretty much the same exact problems. The only difference is, is the bigger guys have more zeros in what it costs them when they screw it up. That's right. But the truth is we're all people. And most of the problems in your business are caused by people. And if you don't know who the person in your business is that's causing the problem, take a look in the mirror because it's probably you. (laughs) That's exactly right. That is exactly right. So I've learned that about, about just working with them. We started doing this this year with some clients. We put together a list of about 80 things that could go wrong while we're working together. We call it our turbulence list. Okay. Just like when you get on an airplane, the pilot hops on and he's like, hey, we're at 10,000 feet. We're going to be climbing to 30,000 feet. I'll take the seatbelt sign off. And, you know, there's going to be a storm brewing right before we get ready to land. It might get a little bumpy. So I'm going to tell you, put the seatbelt sign on, you know, put your trade tables up and we'll get you there safely. We know how to fly through turbulence. We've been there before. And I got the same thing. And it's about 80 different things. And people are like, does this stuff really happen? I'm like, if it's on this list, it's because we've helped the client get through it. It's the only reason it's on this list. That really is so true. I mean, I just flew to Vegas twice from Savannah and 
I'm not a fan of crossing you across the entire nation in an airplane. But one of the things that I thought was really great on the last trip, actually, coming back from Vegas to Savannah, that's exactly what our pilot said. He said, you know, we don't have a tailwind like we normally do. So it's going to slow us down a little bit. And we also, we can see that right before we land, we're going to have a little bit of turbulence. So just be aware of that. We already expect it. So, you know, don't be afraid of what's going on and we'll get you there safely. And I was like, that's so amazing to hear because I'm not afraid of flying. I'm not afraid of falling out of the air. What I'm afraid of is that sudden impact at the end. That's kind of what gets me. And to hear him come on the radio and just say, we understand that there's going to be some fears coming you know, from the plane. And if I didn't tell you it was coming, you'd be even more scared of what's yeah. going on. But when it came, it came hard. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like, and I've flown a lot. Like I have lots of frequent flyer miles. And that is the absolute worst turbulence I've ever been in. I mean, I'm talking, we dropped in the air. I've flown in the back of C-17s, C-130s. Like I was in the Air Force. And like, I've flown in the, those things are horrible to fly in the back of. And it was not as bad as first class in this jetliner. It was wild. And if that pilot had not come on the radio and said that beforehand, I would have swore we were going to die. And no, I was like, okay, well, there's the turbulence he was talking about. I'm waiting for the pilot that actually has the gumption to say, hey, by the way, when you look out the window and the plane's wings are flying up and down like a bird, that's normal. The engineers <laughs> accounted for that. Because I'm like, those wings are going to rip off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we found that it puts people's, not only puts their concerns at ease, but it also, what it does is it helps them understand that, you know, there are things that impact our ability to get it results in your business that you may not make connect the dots on. Yeah, that's a good point. You lose a key account and people are like, what's it have to do with hiring? I'm like, are you kidding me? Now half your team is like, are we still going to have a job? Yeah. Like now you got to step up that retention piece if you lose a key account. And it's like, there's so many things that are connected when it comes to it. So, Or the opposite. You don't have, you're failing on the hiring aspect. You're allowing key employees to leave due to culture yeah. issues or not following up on the processes you promised. And then all of a sudden, key account leaves because you can't support them. Yeah. Yeah. It's all connected. And that's the thing it about is. business that it really is all connected. So I think that's great. So what are some things that to hire a coach, work with a good bookkeeper? I heard those things. What are some actions they can take right away? I want to say there's, you should have five best friends. I'm going to try and go off this memory because I didn't prepare for this beforehand. <laughs> okay. So you need a good insurance guy. Yep. Or gal. Your lawyer. Yep. Your banker, mm -hmm. your mentor, your coach, coaches, or whatever. I say this so often. I didn't mention bookkeeper yet, but maybe that's not it. Definitely the CFO, that's it. So you're yeah. a good CFO, CPA. So my CPA firm has CFOs in them, and that's where my CFO is located okay. in the CPA firm. So uh, I say CFO, when in reality, I mean CPA. So CPA, yeah. you have a good accountant, bookkeeper, banker, lawyer coach and insurance insurance yeah brian sorry brian <laughs> no worries no worries <laughs> yeah i got three of those people that you just mentioned are all named brian in my world so it must be a brian thing. <laughs> yeah it's crazy my wife's like which brian are we talking about now i'm like oh right. i shifted gears i was talking about the attorney now i'm talking about the insurance guy <laughs> so five people you should have in your business what's something they can do like i mean this sounds heavy right like find a coach 
find mm. a good bookkeeping firm, find the five people. Those are heavy. What's something they can go do by the end of the week? Okay. So by the end of the week? It helps push them in that direction, like moves them towards those ultimate goals. What's a good first step? I would say, honestly, if it was me, as a commitment to the listeners, I'll do it before the end of the week. Good news is today's Monday, so I have a couple more days, but talk with every one of your team members and find out their why. Ooh, what's that going to do for them? So the accountability aspect of it is an amazing thing. As soon as something is not tracking properly, and of course, I'm assuming that you're tracking KPIs and you're watching, you're not just delegating by abdication again. You're actually looking at what this person is doing on a daily basis, or at least some kind of regular occurrence or whatever. I would say as soon as they're not tracking properly, you can. it's easier to have the conversation of, hey, you know, you're wanting to purchase your own house, right? Your first house, you're wanting to purchase it. In the end, we've worked this backwards. We know that if you want to purchase this $200,000 house, it's going to take you doing this, 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 and this. What are you not doing right now? This, 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 and this. So let's work towards doing that. Then it's not me emotionally upset with someone about why they're not completing their task. It's, hey, are you sure that's really your why? Or do we need to have that conversation again? Yeah, I love that. You know, it's funny. I get a lot of people push back. I'm like, ah, my team doesn't get emotional about that stuff. They don't think about that stuff. I'm like, yeah, they're human beings. We're a bunch of dudes. Like we're a bunch of guys. They don't really talk about that stuff. Yeah. You'd be surprised. I can't tell you my team like, oh, my guys don't have emotion. Like when the last time they cursed out a superintendent? Mm Mm-hmm. Like last time, like it just happened before this call. It's called emotion. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wrong kind. We're channeling the wrong kind of emotion. You know, it's the thing. They're giving up time with their friends, their family, the things they do for fun to come work for you. Yeah. And it's not just about the money. I mean, that's one of the reasons I believe we're having this issue around hiring and pay right now. It's everybody thinks they're worth $10 more an hour than they are. And I go, it's because you got crappy jobs. It's because they know that in the industry, they're going to be treated like garbage. And that's the bribe that they need to overlook it. That's true. Can I ask you the question? Yeah. How would you explain to someone or build value if they're being told by everyone, like say they've interviewed at five different places and every one of those places have said, you know what? We really need somebody right now. We'll pay you $40 an hour. And two years ago, that same position was $20 an hour. And your company, maybe you legit can't afford $40 an hour. You haven't figured out how to make that happen. How do you come in competitively and still have that conversation and win that person? Yeah. So two pieces to that. So let's just take the first piece, which is just, let's say you want to compete on the price, right? I believe there's always someone willing to go bankrupt faster than you. Very true. So don't ever compare yourself to what everybody else is doing, right? They might know that the employer that's offering the $40 an hour, they might know that they've got a crummy culture, horrible work-life integration or work-life balance. They know they're going to chew you up and spit you out in three months or six months or whatever, but they got to push through this job that they know isn't going to be profitable just to save face with the client. Mm. You have no idea where they're at. Mm -hmm. And just know that if someone's making an offer that's too good to be true, the grass probably isn't greener. Mm -mm. Probably growing over a septic tank. (laughs) <laughs> and that thing is leaking like mad. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But they're not going to let you know that on the front end. So if you ever get made this offer or you see that there's companies out there making these offers that are too good to be true, there's probably something deeper than that that's really a problem. They've got to bribe people to get on there. Mm-hmm. But that said, 
really take a look at is your price competitive in the marketplace? Like, and I love what you do, Tersh. Like, you're able to reduce your overhead significantly by not having a shop, by not making your guys commute a ton, by keeping their jobs local so their windshield time is minimal, by making them audit the inventory on their trucks once a week. Like, you're doing a lot of things to reduce any kind of shrinkage or reduce your expenses, which means if you're charging what the market can bear, you have a higher margin. You can pay your guys to treat them well. Yep. That's exactly the thought process that we have, which is the reason why we pay them 40 when our competitors are paying 20 and 30. Because you can, because mm-hmm. the competitors have 15% of their revenue going towards just keeping the lights on in the office that no one wants to come to anyways, right? Yep. And so that's one thing. So look at, make sure you're priced right. And then if you are priced right, look at how you can reduce expenses by automating, by systematizing, by being smarter than everybody else. So that's one side of it. The other side of it, and this is the side we usually take is, what is it someone really wants out of a job? Like, let's get to their why. Mm-hmm. Like, Why are you here? What do you want to accomplish? And we had a client that they found out that a lot of their entry-level guys, you know, these 12, 13, 14 bucks an hour, all they wanted to do was buy a home and provide for their family. So they said, great, here's what we're going to do over the next two years. Here's your career path. Here's your savings plan. And by the way, when you are ready to buy a home, and you can show us that you've saved the money and you've done this, we're going to match 50% of whatever you've saved. Dang, that's cool. Right? Way cheaper than 400% turnover and dealing with it. And you've got guys that are motivated to expand their career because they want to go buy a house. Mm -hmm. And so they put this whole program together. It costs them nothing. And what it does, it saves them a ton because now you've got people that are committed, they're loyal, they're going to be there a long time. So... Figure out why they really want to be there. We have clients all the time that call us and say, I didn't believe you could do it, but we just hired for someone for $4 less than what they were making. And we are pumped. Yeah. Because they were excited about where you're going and what you're doing as a company. Can I ask just one more follow-up question? Okay, perfect. How do you share that kind of culture before the interview process? Have you seen this successful where they don't treat it like uh, the conversation, like it's, the devil I know versus the one I don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm not even interested in that job because I don't like where I'm at. I hate where I'm at, but at least I'm making a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the easiest ways to tell people, you have customer testimonials on your website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have customer reviews. How many yeah. employee reviews or employee testimonials you have on your website? Great point. I don't think I have any. I mean, on their profile page. Yeah, no, no. I'm talking about like yeah. super easy to find, not buried somewhere. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, right? Yeah. So we put all this effort into finding out what our customers think of us. We put no effort in thinking what our, our employees think of us. And when we do find out what our employees think of it, for some reason, we think it's like needs to be a secret. It's like, no, no, yeah. no, get it out there. We got a client that just sent us a bunch of iPhone. Like they recorded it on their phone. They had crew members set it up. They propped it up on a brick fence or something. Like you can totally tell this was done at the last mm-hmm. minute. And they just got up there and they just talked about how awesome it was to work there and what it's like to be a part of the team. And they name dropped and they did all this and then they emailed it to them. And they're like, hey, boss, is this good? And they're like, love it. It's raw, it's organic, it's real. And it just works. And people are drawn to that. They're like, I want to be excited about my job like that person is about theirs. You know, that it's funny you mentioned that because I actually interviewed a gentleman and we didn't hire him. And I can't think of the reason right off the top of my head why we did not hire him. I think it was because something to do with location. 
irrelevant at this point. But I do remember the conversation that we had because when we do hiring events, we'll do them Zoom. And it's a whole group of people that all interview at the same time for different jobs. And one of the things he mentioned was that every time I see you on Facebook or on social media, you are always having such a blast. So like our quarterly things that we, like the whole team gets together at quarterly, we live out in the country. My wife and I live out in the country, but we'll have everybody come to our house and we'll have what's called a low country boil. So we have, you know, uh, crab legs and shrimp and sausage. And it's just laid out along our 16 foot long table. And this guy mentioned, he was like, I seen you having a low country bull. You have this big old blow up slide for all the kids of the families that work with you. And you have videos of everybody just having a great time. And that's what I want is that he's like, I know you don't see each other every single day, but I remember every time that somebody's and they're wearing your logo and your brand that they're always having a great time. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's cool, man. I appreciate that. That's awesome. You know, we teach a process called building the bench. You know, you've probably got an email list of customers, right? You got an email list of people that want to work for you. I actually do, but it's only because someone told me to do it recently, not a year or two ago. They Good told for me to you. So a great email to send that list is that same picture that he was talking about on Facebook. Send oh, yeah. it to him with a subject line, say, we missed you. Wish you were here. That's a golden nugget right there. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. This is your episode. This is a vibe. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm loving this here. So, but yeah, I mean, everything you said about just as soon as you popped open with, hey, ask them their why, find out what they want, you know, what's important to them. And, you know, that's the heart of what we do. So kind of got my brain going and my coaching instincts kicked in on that. But, mm. but hey, I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure we could keep going and keep going and, We'll probably have you back on again in the future and we can dive into this some more. But I know you've got some resources available for our listeners. I know you've got the podcast, you've got some other stuff that you're working on just to help them with that next step. You know, you've been there, you've done it. You're doing some amazing things with your businesses. And I know you just want to be able to give back and help the industry and help others. So tell me a little bit about how they can learn more about you and get access to some of these free resources. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate it. So one of the challenges and the questions we get asked a lot, I mean, a lot, whether it's Facebook Messenger or sending an email, we always typically will put the guest contact information in the show notes, but they still tend to reach out to me, which I'm perfectly fine with 100%. I am a connector in the industry. And that's why we have the podcast. It's to connect people. But one of the questions we really get a lot is, I don't understand my numbers. So I don't really know what to do next. Like, I don't know if we're making money. We have money in the checking account. Like we're doing uh, Mike McCallowitz. I love him with Profit First and everything. He's like, yeah, we're doing uh, checking account accounting. I think that's not right. Something's out of effect anyways. So if there's cash in the bank, then we're making money. If there's not yeah. cash in the bank, then we're not making money. And so a lot of times they're like, I don't know my numbers. So I don't know if I'm charging right. Yeah. And all that good jazz. So we actually have some PDFs and, a lot of the different groups and everything. We have some great friends who have really helped us out with knowing your numbers and uh, like, what's your the sold hour number? So if you were going to be a uh, flat rate and you used to be time and material, a lot of people are confused on how to figure out their sold hour, how much they should charge per hour that they, mm -hmm. they sell. So we actually have a PDF on how to do that. It's just to work through and they have to just go, go to our website and the homepage there and click the link and, sign up for it, get it sent over to them. Awesome. And we'll have all that info in the show notes. So 
Yeah, it's servicebusinessmastery.com. That's where you go. Awesome. Well, hey, Church, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Lots of great wisdom from you. And I love how you're disrupting the industry and doing something different. It's fantastic. I know there's people going, okay, I want to figure out how to do that too. Because if I could give up that shop, I'd be amazing. So in today's day and age, no one's going to come to your shop anymore anyways. So you don't need it. So, hey, Church, thanks for being a guest. And I look forward to speaking to you the next time. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure. I really appreciate the invitation. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.